The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Julius Kim. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. As you may know, the faculty this semester uh, will be doing a series entitled The Gospel in the Gospels, uh, where they'll be taking different passages from the four Gospels and, Lord willing, preaching the Gospel from the Gospels. You may be thinking, well, that seems a pretty easy task. After all, the New Testament is all about Jesus. In fact, the Old Testament is also all about Jesus. Uh, But one thing that I've discovered, and perhaps you have as well, is that many people preach from the Gospels and miss the Gospel. Uh, They miss the centrality of Jesus, uh, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old. And so that's what we want to do. We want to encourage you, edify you as a faculty by preaching you the good news, the good news about Jesus, his Gospel from the Gospels. So I have the privilege to start this series, starting in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there as I read. Listen carefully, for this is the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered there, gathered together, so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that through your spirit you would speak to our minds, our hearts, our lives especially as we discover the gospel and the gospels. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Fifty-four years ago, a quarter of a million people gathered to listen to one man speak, an ordinary man with an extraordinary dream a dream who would unite the nation, a dream of equality. 
He was an ordinary man with an extraordinary dream. And when this man spoke, people listened. There on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963, the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. pierced both sky and heart as he proclaimed these pregnant words, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Now, 2,000 years ago, a smaller group of men, women, and children, nowhere near the 250,000 gathered in Washington, D.C. that day, listened to a man speak. He would not ignite his nation with any dream, and yet his words astounded those who heard him. For he was an ordinary man with extraordinary faith. And when the formerly paralytic man spoke, people listened. There, here, near the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, a man formerly paralyzed actually gets up and walks. Mark actually doesn't give us the words he may have spoken. But perhaps they went something like this. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Indeed, he was free. Free from the shackles of his physical torment. Free from the bondage of his paralyzed life. Free because he came face to face with Jesus. And life as he knew it would never be the same again. For in Jesus, the paralytic came face to face with the kingdom of God. For God's reign and rule had come in the person and work of this man's physical and spiritual restorer. And here on the dusty roads of Palestine, Jesus inaugurates a new era in the history of God's people as he proclaims some pregnant words of his own, words that established a new reign, a new rule, a new way of life and living for those who are paralyzed by sin and death. For in this seemingly insignificant story, yet another miracle story about a paralytic man receiving healing, we see ordinary people demonstrate extraordinary faith, inspiring us, ordinary people, hopefully, to extraordinary faith. Why? Because of two simple reasons, grace and faith. So what I'd like to do is unpack this story, the story of grace and faith, as we look at this encounter between Jesus, who brings the kingdom of God, and this paralyzed man. But in order to do so, I want to use these, the supporting cast. Can we call them that? I want to use the supporting cast to kind of frame this sermon. So first we'll look at grace through the eyes of the scribes that are gathered. Then we'll look at faith through the eyes of the friends that brought the paralyzed man. So first, grace. Let's take a look at grace and learn from the scribes about God's grace. One of the first things we learn from this story, from this gospel story, is, is actually learned by observing the Pharisees and listening to what they say as they watch this scene unfold, this amazing scene, this healing. And the first thing we learn from this interaction between Jesus and the paralytic in the midst of these scribes is that this act of healing was more than just a display of mercy to a wretched man but something much more profound and much more deep. You see, we learn that Jesus came from heaven and earth for a reason. Not just to heal him physically, but to heal all God's children spiritually. How can I say that? 
We know this because of two things Jesus says that's really unexpected that the Pharisees pick up on. First, he says, son, your sins are forgiven in verse 5. And that would have been shocking to those there. I'll tell you a reason why. Then second, he says, in giving the authority he has to perform this miracle and also forgive sins, he calls himself the son of man, which again would have been shocking to the scribes and those who knew the Bible, the Hebrew Bible at that time. So first of all, forgiveness. In verse 5, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And here the scribes help us understand what's going on. In verse 7, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? After Jesus proclaims this word of forgiveness. And you know what? They're actually correct. They're actually good students of the Bible. Here they correctly affirm that in the Old Testament, only God himself is attributed for forgiving sins. Even the Messiah is not. You see, the Messiah, as described in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, would exterminate the godless of Israel in Israel, would crush demonic power, protect his people from the reign of sin, but actually forgiveness of sins was never attributed to the Messiah. And so in their minds, they had to make a choice. Either Jesus is who he says he, says he is right now, or he's a liar and a lunatic. That is, he's either God himself come in the flesh, or he's another wacko prophet. Furthermore, Jesus' pronouncement of forgiveness is that much more shocking because, frankly, it seems so inappropriate, doesn't it? And even irrelevant to the immediate situation. Could you imagine what the disciples were thinking as this paralyzed man is lowered through the roof? It's obvious to everybody. It's obvious to the disciples. So what's the first thing they expect Jesus to do? Something that, the, that he's already done in chapter 1, which is to heal him. So imagine what the disciples were thinking, where this paralyzed man is dropped, and the disciples are like, wait till you see this. And then Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus, I don't think that's why he's here. Um, I don't know if you got the memo, but it's actually something else. Do you understand what's going on here? It's so shocking that Jesus would say, this is the first thing he says. What is he saying? Why does Jesus say this? Jesus is saying that the long-awaited kingdom of God was at hand. The long-awaited time of blessing had arrived. Jesus had come to fulfill the gracious promises of God to actually be with his people. God's promise to enter into time, space, and history to set up his reign and rule over all things was actually here to bring light out of darkness, to bring life out of death. Yes, of course, the paralytic before him needed to be healed, but Jesus teaches those listening to him 2,000 years ago. And friends, he teaches those listening to his voice even today this morning in Escondido. Jesus has not only come to cure the outer sickness, but ultimately bring healing to the inner disease of sin. You see, the Old Testament way of dealing with the bondage of sin, that is the temporal, the external, and the incomplete, was now gone. Jesus was introducing something more with this startling pronouncement of forgiveness. He was bringing something eternal, internal and perfectly complete. 
Jesus is saying, first things first. Yes, I can heal him. You've already, I've already shown you that. I've already demonstrated that. But I'm giving you a picture, a little window, a little preview of what I've ultimately come to do for you. Not just for this paralyzed man, but for all of you, my people. To cure you from the paralysis of sin and death. And that's why I'm saying, son, your sins are forgiven. God's kingdom was actually here. And this would have been shocking to those listening. And it should be shocking to you once again. That God himself would come in the flesh to forgive our sins. And to give us new life. See, with this pronouncement of forgiveness of sins, we learn about what? Grace, don't we? This is God's grace. The grace of the gospel. We also learn grace with the second thing he says. He says, he is the son of man. We don't have a lot of time, so I have to quickly explain what's going on here. Again, Jesus shocks those listening to those listening to him so, so that you may know that the son of man has authority. He could have chosen a lot of different titles. And no one would have been offended. He could have called himself rabbi, teacher, even son of God. That could have offended. But he uses this special title found in Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 7. And again, the Pharisees would have been shocked that he places this favorite title of himself in the book of Mark upon himself. He calls himself this son of man who comes in the skies with authority, power, and dominion. Basically, he's saying, so that you may know that I am God himself with all power and authority. And the scribes would have been scratching their heads, troubled in their hearts. And that's exactly what they were thinking, which is crazy. That Jesus knows what they're thinking in their hearts in verse 8. Scribes were probably saying to themselves, not only is this guy blaspheming, but he's frivolous. Anyone can say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. But let's see if you could actually heal this guy. That's probably what the Pharisees were thinking. So Jesus shows his grace. The grace to not only forgive sins, but also heal the body here. He's no ordinary prophet. He's God himself come in the flesh. And so here... Jesus is saying, I am that man in Daniel chapter 7. I am the son of man who came not just with all power and dominion and authority. But as we know later in Mark, he says, I am the son of man who came not to be served as he rightly deserves, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Profound, startling, and yet this is grace. You see, so this healing was more than just a display of mercy to this man. It was a pronouncement, announcement, presentation of radical healing. This, all of this was a sign that the promised kingdom of God had drawn near. That God himself has come. And that all who trust in him will receive freedom from their bondage. Blessing from their bondage. From the bondage of sin and death. Friends, this is a story about you and me. And not just about this paralyzed man. About you and me who are enslaved by the ravages of sin. Shackled in guilt and condemnation. Imprisoned by sin that curses both the soul and the body. This is the gospel of grace. 
And so by attributing this Daniel chapter 7 to himself, Jesus is proclaiming the wonderful grace of God in the gospel. What else can we learn? Not only grace, but we can also learn faith, and I'll go quickly here. And here we learn about faith, extraordinary faith demonstrated in light of this grace. Talk about mission impossible. These four friends, right? We talked about the scribes, now we're talking about these friends. Talk about mission impossible upon hearing that Jesus was in town. They think about their friend who was paralyzed and in need, and immediately they go, grab their friend, we've got to take you to Jesus. There's a man here who can heal you. So they take their friend. What they didn't ex- expect was to find so many obstacles. The narrative is sparse, but you have to almost kind of imagine it, right? So again, they pick up their friend on some sort of blanket or mattress. They take them to this house. It's so crowded, the crowd spills out from the house, even into the courtyard, so they can only get to the front gate. That's obstacle number one. It's actually, they can't even get to Jesus. They couldn't even get to the front door. So what do they do? They try the side of the house. And that's where they encounter obstacle number two, the stairs, right? Typical Palestinian homes were made with flat roofs that were accessible by a staircase on the side. And again, I don't know if you've tried it recently, but I can imagine it's probably pretty difficult to carry a, a man upstairs on a flimsy blanket or a mattress of some sort. And yet, they do it. They climb the stairs. That's where they meet obstacle number three, the roof. There's no like man-made hole or a skylight where they can just drop the guy in. So what do they do? Again, this roof, obstacle number three, made primarily with clay and straw that's been dried. And again, I don't think you've done this before, try to dig through a dry clay roof. But somehow, some way, they dig a hole large enough to lower a man down. These guys, they don't give up, do they? But that's where they meet obstacle number four. How are they going to lower him? Maybe one of them thought, well, he's paralyzed. I mean, does it hurt if we just drop him? (laughs) Jesus is going to heal him anyway. (laughs) Nah, I don't think that's a good idea. So somehow, some way, we don't know. We don't know the details. I don't know. They have some ropes, some twine. I don't know. Somehow they lower. Imagine what's going on here. All these obstacles and yet this is the kind of faith they have. Startled by the debris falling from the roof, Jesus stops his teaching. He looks up and he notices these four friends looking on down in the hole. Jesus looks down at the paralytic on the mat. Jesus looks up and peers at these four friends. Mark doesn't record whether the paralytic or the lepers or the paralytic or the friends spoke. Friends, it didn't matter. They just trusted Their faith touched the very heart of God himself so that we read in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus saw their faith collectively, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Through that simple act of faith, they received blessing. So what can we learn about faith? Just really quick, five things we can learn about faith from this amazing passage. One, we learn that faith alone in Christ yields blessing, right? It's only faith that yields blessing. Jesus teaches us that faith is the only instrument by which they receive blessing. Seeing their faith, Jesus heals. Not faith plus their efforts. Faith alone yields blessing. Secondly, faith is based on knowledge. It's not wishful thinking, is it? 
For the paralytic and his friends, they knew that only Jesus could bring healing. And Jesus himself grounds his authority to heal and forgive based on who he is as the Son of Man. It's based actually on knowledge that is true. It's based on the objective reality of who God is and God's power. Third, faith fuels persistence, doesn't it? Though faced with all these obstacles, the friends passionately accomplish their mission. And so faith encourages us and inspires us to keep striving when we face our obstacles and difficulties. What else can we learn about faith? Faith is also action, isn't it? It's one thing just to believe Jesus can heal, but to go after it. Faith actually moves from the head, the heart, to the hands. And then lastly, what else do we learn about faith? Faith involves others, doesn't it? The paralytic couldn't have done it without his friends. He needed them. Friends, the Christian life is not a solitary journey, but a walk with others who are bound together, the common union with Christ. We need each other. Faith faith exists in the church, in the community of the saints. So faith is profound and yet so simple. Remember what the writer of Hebrews tells us, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. But anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But as you know, this freedom came with a price, not only for the paralytic, but also for you and for me. See, the story ultimately points forward to the price God had to pay to free all of his children from the paralysis of sin and death. As Mark so rightly points out later in his gospel, we learn that Jesus becomes the paralyzed man for all of us. Jesus knowing fully well that the paralyzed man cannot save himself, Jesus knowing fully well that we cannot save ourselves from our sin, goes to the cross to satisfy divine justice, becoming paralyzed in death for three days. He receives all that is part and parcel of the fall of sin and death. In fact, throughout the scriptures we learn he becomes the blind man, he becomes the leper, he becomes the paralytic through his death on the cross for us. This story of a paralyzed man anticipates the story of the paralyzed man. This is what Jesus has done. This is the gospel. This is grace. And so, friends, as you listen to this, as you start this new semester, I hope you're encouraged once again by the good news of grace, of what Jesus has done for you. He became paralyzed for you so that you would never have to be. And all it takes is faith to believe, to trust, to rely, rest. Grace calls us to respond Perhaps you're feeling spiritually paralyzed this morning, tired of trying to save yourself, running after the things of this world, and friends, come to the feet of Jesus. Repent and believe the good news of this grace. But there's also more. A wonderful lesson that this story teaches us is that out of this grace, not only do we respond in trust and reliance upon God for our lives, for our studies, for our ministry, but you can actually help others all around you. We learn from these friends, too, what it means to live by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by bringing those who are paralyzed by their sin to the feet of Jesus. 
friends, are calling us to be like the mango tree. And let me finish with this illustration. The mango tree is very interesting. The mango tree, when one of its limbs breaks off, the whole tree actually stops growing. And all the resources, nutrients, and stuff are channeled to that one broken limb. And only when that broken limb begins to grow will the rest of the tree grow with it. What a wonderful picture of the church. What would it look like if the whole church pooled all of its resources to help that one broken limb? And only then would the church grow together. Friend, the story of the gospel, the story of grace, the story of faith is about you and me. May God bless us as we live it out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us this morning once again about the wonderful announcement of the gospel that Jesus has come for us. Thank you for teaching us about the breathtaking grace of the gospel and about the inspiring faith that you were called us to as ordinary people, hopefully demonstrating extraordinary faith as we bring people to the feet of Jesus. But we recognize that we cannot do this without your help. So Holy Spirit, come and help us so that we can display the kind of faith, hope, and love that you yourself have shown us in Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.